Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast. I am your host, Denise Green, and I'm very excited to have you with me for this episode that is all about resilience. We have some really good, fun, yummy stuff to talk about when it comes to resilience. So first off, just a little side note, I um, was looking up the definition of resilience the other day, and I agreed with every part of the definition except for one word, and that word was toughness. Now, in my mind, toughness has nothing to do with resilience. So I closed the laptop, went on to do other things, and then later I went to look up the definition again, and this time every definition I could find did not contain the word tough. I even googled resilience and tough, and I'm sure if you went and did this, you could find some definition that contains the word tough. But here's the thing. When I think about resilience, the thing that comes to mind first is, you know that old toy doll, uh, probably back in the 70s, called Stretch Armstrong? And you could pull this thing and pull it and pull it and pull it and then let go, and the fun part was to watch him come back to his original form. Now, eventually, you could break stretch, but it was really strong, and that was the whole point. So that was the feeling that I got when I was thinking about this topic of resilience. And then, lo and behold, I found these definitions of resilience. The first one is, it is the power or ability to return to the original form, position, etc., after being bent, compressed, or stretched elasticity. Well, that sounds a lot like the doll, and I completely agree that this is resilience. The other definition is the ability to recover readily from illness, depression, adversity, or the like. Buoyancy. I love that word buoyancy almost as much as elasticity, because buoyancy recognizes that yeah, you may get pushed down under the water, but boom, if you have resilience, you are going to pop back up. The point is not to stay on the surface all the time. The point is to pop back up when you go down. So here's the problem with toughness. Toughness breaks. And if it doesn't break you, it breaks others. So what does tough look like? Well, for me, it is not feeling your emotions and not showing your emotions as if doing that will inoculate you from hurt or pain. It's also cynicism that protects you, so you think, because things are going to get bad and always be bad, so why bother? And people suck, so just don't trust them. That's what cynicism is. And it is toxic to you and toxic to your relationships. Tough also looks like an underdeveloped heart center. Of course, if you're not feeling your feelings, you can't really be empathetic about yourself and your own condition or others. 
and you may have an overdeveloped power center. If we think of martial arts, the power center is in the solar plexus or the dantian, as, as it's known in martial arts. So some people developed this toughness of the fighter, and others acquire toughness in the form of giant pickup trucks that they don't necessarily need for work, or assault weapons that they certainly don't need um, for their livelihood. Toughness lacks joy and playfulness and a sense of humor about one's circumstances. There's no lightness with toughness. And it can also look like sarcasm. Some people think sarcasm is humor, but sarcasm is actually, when it's used against other people, passive-aggressive cruelty. Toughness doesn't allow forgiveness. It carries around a grudge as, again, that will keep us from getting hurt and protect us from pain. It's like you're walking around with a Kevlar vest and shield, and everybody else feels it, even if they can't see it, and they want to pick up their shields and not be vulnerable with you because you don't feel safe. This is not resilience. Resilience is about bouncing back. So when it, when it came to living things that came to mind for me about toughness and resilience, the first entity that popped into my mind was Betty. Now, Betty was my first dog as an adult. And please indulge me for a minute. Even if you don't love dogs, you're going to love Betty and her brother, Ralph. So we adopted them Valentine's Day in the year 2000 from the SPCA. They were teeny tiny 12-week-old puppies. And Betty and Ralph had very, very different personalities from the get-go. We brought them home in a little box. And Ralph stayed coward, even though he was the bigger dog. He stayed coward on the bottom of the box. And Betty was so eager to watch the world go by that she would stand on her brother Ralph, peek her head out over the box, and look out and see what was going on. Betty was the protector. Now they were both full of love and fun and very playful, as puppies are, but clearly Betty was the tough one. Even though Ralph would grow to be 85 pounds, 20 pounds more than Betty, he was the Omega dog. Ralph never met a dog that he didn't feel like submitting to. So Ralph would assume the position on his back, belly exposed, I'm not a threat, and Betty would stand at attention next to him just to make sure he was protected. She was also my protector. I remember one time uh, a Doberman pincher started making aggressive moves toward Ralph, and Betty chased that thing out of the dog park. It was so cute. And I didn't realize how much Betty thought she was my protector until we went to Europe, and we got a call while we were in Rome, and they had said that Betty had swallowed something. She had an obstruction in her gut, and she might need surgery. Thank goodness the vet was conservative and decided to take another scan the next day with an ultrasound. And she realized that it was not a foreign object. It was Betty's own stomach lining. She had become so stressed that I was gone and so worried about me that her anxious stomach created so much cells and inflammation that she had a huge obstruction. 
So they flooded her with tagamet, yes, over-the-counter tagamet, antacid, and it worked, and she was better. It didn't mean her stress was gone, but it meant her stomach was now protected. So Betty was such a protector. Uh, I recall once Ralph had to have surgery to have his tooth extracted, and it turned out to be a very, very difficult surgery. The vet said it was the toughest extraction she'd ever done. A one-hour surgery became a five-hour surgery. And Betty was beside herself in the kennel, um, wondering what was going on with Ralph. So it was so distracting for the vet, they just let her out. And Betty proceeded to go directly underneath the operating table and lie there for the next four hours, quietly, just making sure her brother was okay. So Betty was so loving, but she was also so tough, it was wearing on her. And at age eight, Betty was diagnosed with lymphoma. This was heartbreaking. And I did research because I had this belief, as you may recall, that if I or anybody in my family gets ill, we will figure out a way to fix it. You can debate me on this, but this is a belief that I have that was working for me. So I did some research and I found the premier veterinary cancer center. It was in New Jersey across the country, so I called them, and I set up a phone consult. They reviewed all of Betty's blood tests, and the first thing he asked me is, has Betty had a reason to be anxious recently? And I nearly dropped the phone. This was a year after I'd had my daughter, and it had been the toughest year of my life. I was extremely sick. PTSD, adrenal fatigue, um, just completely out of balance, not sleeping. My brain was a mess. I had no capacity for caring for anything other than my daughter. And um, I was not myself. And Betty, of course, could sense it. And she was extremely, extremely worried about me. And the doctor said, Betty's stomach has produced so many cells as a result of her stress. Her body is trying to create a balance and create a different kind of cell to balance out those cells. And I'm probably not describing this well, but basically what he's saying is Betty's body produced cancer to try and protect her stomach. Now this sounded kind of crazy, but it also made sense. Why else would she suddenly get sick at age eight? So we put her on a protocol. We put her on Chinese herbs and a new diet to help her stomach and help her immune system. And we tried Western medicine chemotherapy. Now, Dogs with lymphoma are not supposed to live more than eight months. Betty's, after Betty's round of chemo, she went a year and a half without needing any other medicine other than the herbs we were giving her. And after a year and a half, Betty did, it came back and we did another round of chemo. And again, she thrived. She kept bouncing. And Betty's whole demeanor changed from being tough to allowing herself to be cared for, allowing herself to be sick, and allowing vets and myself to take care of her. And she could sense that I really enjoyed taking care of her. And she came to really look forward to these vet treatments because she knew it was making her happy. Well, at least I think this is why. It was also because they would give her really yummy treats and her brother would get to go with her. But um, she knew that she would leave feeling better. So long story short, Betty would end up living another three and a half years, and not just living, but really thriving. 
and she became a completely different dog. I would take them to the vet, and the vet was just full of shivering, scared, uh, whining dogs who didn't want to be there. My dogs, meanwhile, would run out of the car, run up to the door, scratch at the door. I'd open the door. They'd run in, run behind the desk, wag, sit down pretty, and ask for treats. So they ran the place, and they loved being there, and um, they never even got kenneled. They would just lie under the desk um, while people worked. And I recently had to take my dog, Andy, in, my new dog, and took him to a completely different vet. But one of the women there was from the oncology vet. And she said, you look really familiar to me. What's your last name? And I said, Green. She goes, oh my gosh, are you Betty Green's mom? <laughs> and I said, yes. And she got a little tear in her eye. And she goes, Betty Green was the most inspiring dog I've ever met. <laughs> Sorry, getting a little overclimped. So Betty went from being tough girl to vulnerable girl. And she gives us a lot of clues as to what vulnerability is. First, the prerequisite to having vulnerability is you got to get knocked down. If nothing bad has ever happened to you in your life, then you have not yet had a chance to practice resiliency. So it requires getting knocked down, whether by circumstance, illness, um, or getting laid off, or an abusive childhood, or losing somebody you love. Or we can get knocked down by our own actions, like we try something and it doesn't succeed. So those are just fodder, ingredients that help us build this resilience muscle. Another prerequisite is acceptance. We have to have acceptance that Bad stuff is just part of the contract for being alive. We are not supposed to be happy 100% of the time. It is impossible. It is a myth. At most, you can be happy 50% of the time, and that's really tough too. Remember, we have brains that are wired for negativity bias. So everybody's going to get sick. Everybody's going to lose somebody. It's guaranteed. Acceptance means that we accept that it is not personal. It just is. And the more resilient you are, the more you're willing to take risks. If you don't have resiliency, you're going to be very, very careful because nobody wants to be down for the count forever. But if you're resilient, you're going to take more and more risks. You're going to learn more from those risks, and you are much more likely to succeed. And this had me thinking about the founder of Spanx. Um, I recently read an interview with her where she talked about how her dad, when she and her brother would sit down to dinner, would ask them at least once a week, so what did you fail at this week? And he built in her the sense that there was no such thing as failure. There was only risk and learning. And she learned to see that no was more like a not yet. No wasn't personal. Every no got her closer to a yes. Her brain became wired for perseverance, resilience, and faith that it would work out. The more you play it safe, the less you get to practice resilience and the less you develop it. So when the stuff hits the fan, you do not bounce back, or at least you don't bounce back quickly. So I have not always had 
resilience. After my car accident, I did not bounce. I landed with a complete thud. And part of this was probably because I had not taken enough risks. I had not built resilience as a muscle. I had played it very safe up to that point in my life. So I nearly gave up on myself after a doctor gave up on me. But if I had had more resilience, I wouldn't have been defeated and deflated by that doctor giving up. I would have said, you know what, buddy? You are a freaking terrible doctor, and I'm going to find somebody else who believes in me and somebody else who has this story that I can overcome. I didn't have to be exactly the same as I was, but I definitely needed to bounce back. So we talked about a few of the mental state requirements involved in resilience. Um, There's another one that I've alluded to, and that is vulnerability. So vulnerability means admitting you're knocked down. It's not trying to hide behind, oh, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. No, it's not fine. I got knocked down. Or, yep, I made a mistake, and I'm admitting it. Or, like Betty, admitting that you need help. I'm working on this with one of my clients um, who has more stamina than anybody I've ever met and suddenly has a very severe disease. And she is having to learn vulnerability and asking for help. In order to develop resilience, you also have to have the mindset of a hero. Now, if you think about the hero's journey, there is always a conflict. The hero always gets knocked down. Now, the hero does not stand around and blame and pout. The hero assesses the situation and takes action. And if the bad thing happened in the past, the hero changes the angle on the story so she is the hero and not the victim. I'm thinking about a client who survived an abusive relationship and got out and found a life partner who is completely different, who is calm and kind and good to her. And then just this last week, I met another client who was abused as a child, turned to drugs as a young adult, and is now a model for how to overcome and thrive. And she is an amazingly empathetic leader who people can trust. Now, have you ever read a book or watched a movie where the hero didn't bounce back from many defeats? You know, I think about World War II and Great Britain and Churchill. Talk about an underdog. He barely got the job as prime minister. His own government tried to undermine undermine him, and all the while they were cozying up to Hitler. They were neither tough nor resilient, but Churchill was. Now, it doesn't mean that he was confident all the time, but he tapped into his own resilience, his own stubborn belief that they could prevail. And it was so sincere. He tapped into the pride and independence and resilience of the English, and he helped them keep calm and carry on during horrors. Now, they lost many people and many battles, but they held on. And that's because not only did they have the hero mindset, they had the faith mindset. This is the stubborn belief 
that you will prevail and the stubborn belief that you will never, ever give up. Now, I told you I have this stubborn belief that if I get ill or injured, I will find a way to fix it, and it has served me very well. It has come in very handy in the last five months. Um, Let me just give you a little bit of a rundown. In January, I caught a virus that was extremely powerful, and I don't take time off, um, but this time, I mean, I took calls from my bed. Um, I would still produce videos because I am stubborn about what I'm intending to do in the world, and I had a timeline. And then I would go straight to bed and crash when the videos were done. Um, About three weeks later, I got over that virus, and suddenly my body stopped sleeping. It was not because of anxiety. It was something biological. And I emailed my doctor, who said to take valerian tea, and um, I got angry about that because seriously, you think I haven't thought of tea? Um, It was not a problem with anxiety. And then I sought two other healers who correctly diagnosed me with having a faulty pineal gland in my brain, but they didn't know how to fix it. And then I found a third healer who fixed it. So it was about one month of sleep torture, but I would not give up. And if I hadn't, if I had given up, I wouldn't be talking to you here today. I don't know what I would be doing, but I wouldn't be functioning. I, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do in the world. I wouldn't be able to mother appropriately. I wouldn't be able to take care of myself. So we got that going, sleeping great. And then about three weeks ago, I was on what we hope to be the last treatment in Lyme disease. I've been battling Lyme disease for almost six years. I am asymptomatic, thank goodness. Uh, but a blood test showed I still had it. So we took this little clear vial of liquid one Sunday, and two days later, I was in a kind of pain I have never experienced before. It was as if my whole torso was on fire. So clearly, this medicine was way too strong for me, and most of my major organs went into spasm. And I could barely breathe, I could barely walk, and we're still in the process of figuring it out. It also created a hernia in my stomach, and the deep tissue treatment that I received also created bruised ribs. So I literally delayed this podcast for two days because I could barely breathe or talk, and I'm feeling much better, and I know that I will continue to get better. And also, while all this was going on, um, I lost five dear relationships to me. They're all still living, thank goodness. Um, Two were for logistical reasons, moving away. And three was because the relationship went from healthy um, to toxic. And it's been hard. And it's been sad. And I've been grieving. Um, But I've learned a lot from those relationships, and I am so, so grateful for them and so blessed to have had those people in my lives. Um, Also during this time, I had a web designer who is creating my academy, my Work Life Brilliance Academy for me, and he basically went AWOL, stopped returning my messages, and he's halfway across the world, so I can't, you know, go over and visit with him and find out what's going on. 
Um, and then I finally get a message from him, and he is trying to extract money from me that was not contracted, and basically holding my content hostage. So all of this was happening, uh, but somewhere along the line, I developed resilience, and I developed stubbornness, and I know what I'm committed to doing in the world. And so I see these things as bumps in the road, not road closures. I will find a way. I will never give up. And in fact, I did resolve the issue with the web designer. I got the files back. My new designer just sent me everything um, today to look at, and it's looking great. I'm feeling so happy and so confident about it. So bottom line is resilience is a choice. It is a state of mind that you can more easily attain if you practice it. And you get to practice it when bad things happen. When things don't go the way you plan, you get to decide what the narrative is. You get to write the story about the situation. And then you get to notice how is your story serving you. So if it's a tragic story and you're the victim, in the short term, you get to feel good about venting and being the victim so that you don't have to change. But in the long term, you feel stress. You live a smaller life than is necessary. Or you live the completely wrong life, somebody else's life. When you get very clear on what your life is about, you have a reason to bounce back. You can see everything as part of that path. Every perceived failure is a stepping stone that will help you make the next move. But if you are afraid of breaking, you won't take those risks. You won't choose the heroic story. I know that my life is about becoming the best version of me that I can be. And it's about helping as many people as I can as efficiently as I can, with as much joy as I can feel. And I am going to stubbornly fulfill that goal, no matter what happens. So please live your life like a hero, not a victim. And be like Betty. May you bounce back from every adversity, big or small, and become beautifully, courageously resilient. Please join me for the next episode of the Work-Life Brilliance podcast. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at iTunes.